In the first reading, we are told of the glories to be seen at the coming of the Lord. The first reading is from Isaiah, the 35th chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make, them, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer on, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with the singing. Everlasting joy shall be there upon their heads, and, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighting shall flee away. This is the word of God. In the second reading, we are told to have patience as we wait for the Lord. The second reading is from James, the fifth chapter. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of earth, being patient about it, and until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. In the Gospel reading, we hear about John the Baptist's doubt. Jesus affirms he is the promised one by the evidence of his ministry. Let us stand. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Sitting in jail, John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to ask a very simple question. Are you the one who is to come, or do we look for another? As we saw in the uh, midweek Advent services, the Jews expected someone to come. There was someone promised that they were looking for, someone they hoped would kick out the Romans and restore the throne of David. Uh, but as uh, John the Baptist looked at what Jesus was doing, he didn't measure up to doing that kind of stuff. Jesus wasn't a military guy. So I think John the Baptist had some doubts, and he sent this question. Are you, is, are you the one who is to come, or do we look for another? Is you is or is you ain't? <laughs> was the question. And instead of giving an answer, Jesus said, you decide. Examine the evidence. Examine the evidence. Evidence is not proof. Proof is certainty. Uh, we have a lawyer in the back, so he's going to check me out on this, right? See, if you, have a, if you have a movie of a guy robbing a convenience store, and you have it all on tape, including the guy's face, and he gives you his social security number, and he gives you his address, and he smiles, and he waves, and he's got the gun. If you've got all of that, that's proof, and there is no doubt. But evidence, evidence is not proof. Evidence, evidence simply points in a certain direction and asked you to make up your own mind. Now, in the law, um, it says that the prosecutor must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think that's right. You can't pr if you've proved it, there is no doubt. What a prosecutor has to do is to present evidence that is so compelling that any reasonable person will agree with the prosecutor. The evidence points in such a direction, in such a, a, a positive and powerful way that the jury has to convict. See, evidence points in a certain direction, and you have to make up your own mind. And so John the Baptist asked for a simple yes or no, and the Jesus said, uh, examine the evidence. You make up your own mind. Now, what was the evidence? Well, here's the evidence. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. That's the evidence. Now, what do you have to, what, to what can you compare this evidence to see if it's right or not? I'll have the next slide, please. Well, here it is. This is from Isaiah. There are three places in Isaiah that one could choose. I've chosen this one because it is the appointed reading for the day. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, what do you think? Does Jesus' evidence match up with that? Would a reasonable person conclude that Jesus' evidence matches up with that, and therefore he is a chosen one? I think so. That would be a reasonable choice, although there are always unreasonable choices, even when the evidence is quite stark. I remember many years ago when we lived in Brayton, Iowa. Brayton, Iowa is about 425 miles due north of here on Highway 71. You go under Interstate 80, we're the next town north of 80. And one summer, the, uh, I think it was the American Heart Association or the Red Cross, showed a film on the dangers of smoking. And they showed it at the town hall, downstairs in the town hall. Lots of folks came, people from town, people from the, the, from the farms, they came. And we saw this film, and it was, well, they gave all the statistics about smoking, and then they showed lungs. They showed human lungs. It was a little, it was a little gross, okay? And there were these nice, clean, healthy lungs, and there were these black lungs, black from smoking. And the evidence was clear. Not a good idea to smoke. When it was over, we went outside, and about half the guys lit up. The evidence was overwhelming, but it didn't convince them. Well, I need to smoke. Well, yeah, well, so you just push the evidence aside. And you can do that. You can ask, uh, is there evidence that there is a creator of the universe? Is the universe created or is it an accident? Well, we look and we look around and say, well, it's just so wonderful, it's got to have a creator. Stephen Hawking, remember Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking has looked at the, at the same evidence that you and I look at. And Stephen Hawking concludes that there is no creator. In fact, Stephen Hawking maintains that he's got some equations on a piece of paper that can tell you where it all came from. Just a few equations. We both look at the same evidence, but we draw very different conclusions. There was a philosopher named Sidney Hook. Sidney Hook was a philosopher in the middle of the last century. Sidney Hook was, um, was an atheist. And he was one time interviewed by William F. Buckley on Firing Line. Anybody remember Firing Line? William F. Buckley was really a smart guy. And in the interview with, with Sidney Hook, William F. Buckley said, Mr. Hook, what will you do if one day you find yourself standing in front of the creator whom you deny? Mr. Hook, what will you say? And Sidney Hook replied, this is what I would say. Sir, you did not give me enough evidence. How much evidence do you want? You see, Sidney Hook and you and I look at the same evidence. 
and we come to very different conclusions. And I often have to say that since Sidney Hook died in 1989, he has already had that conversation with God. Examine the evidence. That's what Jesus said to John the Baptist. Here's the evidence, you look at it, and you decide. Can we apply that same standard to the Christian faith? Whether the Christian faith is true. Is there evidence? Not proof, but is there evidence that the Christian faith is true? Yeah, of course there is. Central to the Christian faith is our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is there evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, of course there is. There is eyewitness testimony, which is always good in, in, in the trial, isn't it, Mike? Eyewitness, tes eyewitness testimony is pretty good. Well, in here, we have eyewitness testimony. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. The Gospel of Mark is really the remembrances of Peter that Mark wrote down. Mark, in effect, served as Peter's secretary. If anybody knew Jesus, it was Peter. Peter's testimony is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Did Peter believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Of course, because he saw him. There were those who say that it was an illusion. Well, it wasn't an illusion. Can, you know, tradition says that Peter went to Rome and was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. If he thought it was a lie, do you think he would have gone through all of that? Can you imagine Peter being crucified upside down and saying, ha, 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 we fooled them, didn't we? Ask Thomas, whose testimony is in here. Did Thomas believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Thomas got a special viewing, a special presentation, and he was at, Jesus said, here, touch my hands, touch my feet. Don't be faithless, but be believing. See, there's all kind of evidence in here. Or take the Apostle Paul. Remember that the Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul saw Jesus, and uh, he writes in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn have received. Now here's the message, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared, he appeared to me. And it's clear here, 
Paul is saying, if you don't believe, I saw him. I'm evidence, I'm an eyewitness. But if you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem. Because there are people there who will testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Is the Christian faith true? Of course it's true. If you examine the evidence, and there's plenty of evidence right here. But you have to examine the evidence with an open mind. And a lot of folks say, well, I know what I believe. Don't confuse me with the truth. And so they go, they go their way. I want to tell you about a man named Nicky Gumbel. Anybody know the name Nicky Gumbel? Nicky Gumbel is, oh, one. Thank you, Kevin. Nicky Gumbel is now a clergyman in the Church of England. Uh, Nicky Gumbel heads up for many years something called the Alpha Course. Anybody know the Alpha Course? Alpha Course is an outreach ministry to bring people to Christ. It started in England at the Holy Trinity Brompton, which is right behind Harrods Department Store, if you know Harrods Department Store. Anyway, we've been there twice. And it's a wonderful, um, a wonderful program where Nicky Gumbels gives a series of lectures. And what they've done at Holy Trinity Brompton, they've taken out all the pews and they put in tables. And for these meetings, they serve meals. And Nicky Gumbel gives these talks. The Alpha Course is so well known in England that it's advertised on the side of buses. And when they give it, it's overflowing with young people. And the first of his lectures, Nicky Gumbel has this, lect- uh, this lecture entitled Christianity. Boring, untrue, and irrelevant. Nicky Gumbel grew up in a home. His father was an, eighth, uh, was an agnostic Jew. And his mother was uh, not a church-going lady. So Nicky Gumbel grew up as, as an atheist. In fact, he was proud of the fact that he was an atheist. When he was in high school, he wrote an essay proving that God did not exist. And the essay was so good, and the state of Christianity in his school was so poor, that it won first place. Nicky Gumbel didn't have anything to do with the church at all. And he recalls at one time when he was taken to uh, an evangelistic meeting, the first one. And he went determined not to listen. Don't confuse him with the facts. He was not going to listen. And he remembers that in, in back of the preacher, there was a clock. And instead of listening to the preacher, he was going to watch the hands of the clock go around. Closed mind. Not going to listen to the evidence. As he looked back on his life years later, he found out that, that his life, he thought he had everything, but his life was always empty. He was always looking for the next thing. He thought, wouldn't it be great if I could be president of my class in high school? And he became president of his class in high school. And it felt great for about three weeks. And then he said, well, wouldn't it be great if I could get out of school? So he graduated, and it was great for about three weeks. And then he thought, what if I get a job? 
That'll be wonderful. But he got a job, and guess what? It was good for about three weeks. What if I get a girlfriend? Three weeks. See, there was, he was always looking for the, for the next thing in his life. And he always felt empty inside. And finally, he decided to examine the evidence. And he went and read the Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. And the evidence was so overwhelming that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. He examined the evidence with an open mind. And he became a Christian. And so he said, you know, the Christian faith is not boring. It's not boring. The Christian life is wonderful. And he quotes Alice Cooper. You know who Alice Cooper is? Uh, see, everybody says, oh, I know Alice Cooper. Well, Alice Cooper is, is the father of shock rock. Now, I, I guess some of those concepts are pretty wild. Alice Cooper is a born-again Christian. He is. And Alice Cooper said, it's easy to drink beer. And it's easy to trash your hotel room. But becoming a Christian is the most radical, revolutionary thing I ever did. Alice Cooper doesn't find the Christian faith boring. We haven't found the Christian faith boring. It's wonderful. It's not untrue. It's true. This is true. That's true. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's true. All you have to do is examine the evidence. And you can't come to any other conclusion. And it's not irrelevant. Because the most important thing that we need in our lives is to be connected up with our Creator. To be reconciled to God. To be friends with God because God wants to be friends with us. It's not irrelevant. It's the most relevant thing in life. Is to be a Christian, to give your heart and soul to Jesus Christ. But you have to examine the evidence. And I think a lot of people don't examine the evidence because, because deep down in their hearts they know it's right. And deep down in their hearts they know if they read the evidence and are convinced their lives are going to be changed dramatically. And so they ignore the evidence. <clears throat> like the smokers outside the town hall. And like uh, Stephen Hawking. And like Sidney Hook. They, they don't, they're afraid of the evidence. Because they know that the evidence is life transforming. And it is. And they don't want to do that. So... They came to Jesus, and Jesus said to John, examine the evidence. Now, what about us? What about this little colony of heaven that's Emmanuel Lutheran Church? 
We've examined the evidence, haven't we? We're the people who have examined the evidence and said, yeah, that's right. Christ is risen. Christianity is wonderful. To have a fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is wonderful. We've examined the evidence and said yes, but there's, but there's one more thing. When you go out into the world, you may be the only Bible that people read. You may be the only evidence that they ever see. You may be the only witness that they ever hear. Same is true of me, same is true of Val, same is true of all of us. There's so little interest in reading the evidence that the evidence has to come to people in the form of people who are consistently Christian, who are consistently loving, who are consistently kind, who are consistently forgiving and whose lives reflect the faith that they have. What a challenge. What an opportunity. What a responsibility to be the only Bible that some people will ever read. And that's us.